Okay, Psalm 127. And while you're turning there, if you missed it, I believe I need to repent to the church. That's why I said you weren't going to laugh. I mean, I guess you could. <laughs> but I felt like the Lord wanted me to publicly repent because somewhere along the journey, I believe that I have lost the privilege of preaching. I believe that the enemy in many ways through the, the warfare, through the betrayal, through the loss of relationships. I mean, guys, I, I had no idea, and I'm not inviting you to feel sorry for me, but I had no idea how much hatred, how much bitterness, how much gossip, how much pure slander would be stirred up just through trying to plant our Father's house. And I don't believe that I was ready for it. And, and through that, I lost the privilege of preaching somewhere along the way, but I felt like I was supposed to declare over my own life that a sense of privilege was being restored because it is a deep honor to preach the Word of God. It's not something that I take lightly, but I felt like I was robbed and the Lord caused me to see it, that preaching, unfortunately, too often was something that I had to do and not something that I get to do. So I believe the Lord is restoring that to me through repenting and through owning that and through setting an example of humility. So I want to ask you to forgive me if at any time it ever seemed like this wasn't a privilege to me, this wasn't an honor or that I was condescending in any way, I want to ask you, please forgive me. Love you guys. Thank you. Psalm 127. It's five verses. Let's read them. Would you say the word unless? unless? Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchmen keep awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors, for He gives to His beloved even in His sleep. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. This is one of the most terrifying verses of Scripture to me. Because I recognize that in it that God is telling us, that if He doesn't build the house, that everything that we do is in vain. If it's in vain, that, mean it, that means it's pointless and it's worthless. It's literally a waste of time. And I think often about standing before the Lord and giving an account for what we've done and giving an account for specifically for how we've built this church. And I'm terrified of church without the presence of God. I'm terrified of ministry without the real message of the gospel. I'm telling you, it keeps me up at night. Do you realize that if we gather together with all the right words and all the songs and the presence of God is not here, then it's all in vain then it's just an exercise, it's just a show, it's just something that we chose to fill up our Sunday morning with. But the presence of God comes to change people's lives. The presence of God has real transformation power within it that when Jesus is truly present in our lives or in a meeting, you cannot stay the same. I don't believe in meetings where we say God is here and people don't change. I don't believe in meetings where we say God is here and people aren't healed. I don't believe in meetings where we say God was there and no one was delivered. I don't believe in meetings where we say God was here but God didn't talk to anybody. We need a restoration of the spirit of the presence and the power of God in our meetings. And quite literally what I feel in my spirit is that God wants to raise our expectations as a corporate house for what it means to gather together in the name of Jesus. We had a couple of weeks ago, we had a gathering and, and we were praying and we were taking the body and blood, the sacred body and blood of Jesus 
And we were praying and we were believing for a miracle. We were asking God for healing in our bodies. Can I tell you something? The unbelief of that moment was so loud, I haven't been able to get it out of my head. It was like we were already planning how to go on with our life after nothing changed. Please hear me. I'm not trying to shame you. I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad this morning. I deeply love you and we're in this thing together. But I do not want to waste God's time. I do not want to flippantly pass through my life and stand before the Lord of glory and have spent my whole strength and money and time on things that are going to pass away with me. When you bring eternity into the conversation, people get uncomfortable. So much of our preaching and teaching and leading in the church today, it lacks an eternal perspective. It lacks the weight of the gospel. See, Billy Graham said it so well. He said the gospel is offensive because it demands change. If you are here and you are born again and you have called on the name of Jesus by faith, the expectation is that your lifestyle would match the confession of your lips. But we have a great crisis in the church. Our crisis is that we don't know what to do with people that don't really want to change. We don't know what to do with people that are truly rebels, that are dug in, and that are going to fight you to the death about real transformation taking place in their lives. We don't know what to do. What do we do? We pray, we fast, we ask God to touch them, but surely there has to be more than that. So unless the Lord builds the house, we labor in vain. This is a question I've been asking God for years. Lord, how do I know that you're building the house? How do we know that you're actually with us? How are we supposed to measure success? We have resigned ourselves here at our Father's house to measure success by presence and by transformation. By real fruit, by real transformation taking place in people's lives and by the tangible presence of God that does what we cannot do. Because if you don't have those things, you're left with behavior modification and people putting on religious masks and just trying to act and do and say the right things in order to make whoever they want to please happy. But when real transformation and the presence of God is in a place, is in a meeting, is within a body, then it calls us all to account for what am I doing with my life? How am I treating my wife and my kids? Do my children actually light up when I walk in the room or are they cringing that dad's home? So unless the Lord builds the house, unless the Lord builds your house, Unless the Lord builds your life, unless the Lord truly constructs something of Himself within your life, it's all in vain. It's all a waste. Guys, we're talking about eternal rewards right now. You can be saved and you can get into heaven and you can receive not many rewards after that because we didn't sow into eternity. You know what happens every time we pass the baskets or every time you give? It's an opportunity for right now in reality to touch eternity. It's really, really hard to give your money away and believe that you're more blessed when you give than when you receive if you don't have eternal eyes and eternal perspective. How in the world does it make any sense that I'm more blessed when I give? No, I'm down 50, I'm down 100, I'm down 1,000 if I give. And yet there's a joy in giving so long as your eyes are open to see eternity. That when you give, you send it on ahead. You're going to see it again. Are you guys here this morning? I had great peace and great clarity come over me through the last several months of prayer 
when I made peace with the message that God has given me. Y'all, I've been on a journey. You guys have been here with me. You guys have been listening to me preach and teach and lead and share. And I'm so grateful for your support. And as God opens all these doors and I try to wrestle through what in the world is happening to my life and just be honest with the Father, I've had to make peace with God that the message that He's given me to carry is not one of revival. All right, let me try this side. You all are disappointed. Forgive me. <laughs> I've been in revival meetings. I've driven to revival. We've flown to revival meetings. I want to be in the presence and the power of God. I hate religion if you can't figure that out. I can't stand it when it's like statues and we're all frozen and we're singing great lofty things about God that don't touch us internally. I just can't do it. It makes me want to barf. So I've been in these meetings and went, revival, we want to see revival. Oh God, send revival. And then something clicked for me when the Lord helped me to understand, Paul, your message isn't one of revival. And that's not a bad message, by the way. The message that God has given me to carry is not one of revival. It's one of reformation. Because we experience revival. We experience the outpouring of the Spirit. We experience God come and perform signs and wonders and miracles. And it's as if God breathes life into a broken structure so it can't contain what God just did. Every revival that we've ever seen, I'm talking about the glory of God, the presence of God, taking over regions and towns, mass repentance, total outpourings of signs and wonders, people being healed. Guys, this stuff happens. Some of us were even ignorant of the history of the outpouring of the Spirit. So we don't hunger for it and we don't desire it because we just don't have a clue. We don't know what we don't know. And yet God comes and He moves in power, but every revival that has ever happened, they've all died. We need a reformation in the church of Jesus Christ because the church was meant to be that structure that God could pour out His Spirit in and through relationship and through family, He could do it again and again and again and again. And there would be living churches in the earth that aren't just experiencing a visitation. No, they're hosting God's presence. So I want you to write this down if you're taking notes. Write this phrase down. Host the Holy Ghost. Somebody make a t-shirt. Give me a bumper sticker. Host the Holy Ghost. What do we want to do in our personal lives? We want to host the Holy Ghost. God, what is it in me that grieves you? That offends you? When my attitude stinks... Convict me. Correct me. You know, it's really, really hard to complain while you take communion and thank Jesus for dying for you. Seriously. That's one of the ways I've, uh, that's helped me eradicate grumbling and complaining from my life. Just take the bread and the juice and just try to complain. The fear of God will come on you like, yeah, whatever I'm suffering through, whatever I'm enduring, whatever the difficulty is, pales in comparison to Jesus being innocently beaten and murdered for me. Grumbling and complaining is like rat poison in a church. It's cancerous. That's how the enemy comes and devours places. When we don't guard our thoughts about one another, we open the door for the enemy to do his work. Thinking is the level that sin begins. Before it manifests, it's right here. It's in your thought life. So if I don't take my thoughts captive, a thought I had about you or about you or about anybody that doesn't have the blood of the Lamb, that doesn't have redemption on it, then I can be hijacked and become an agent for the enemy to do his work. We're not addressing something vaguely here from the pulpit. No, we're preaching this before it ever becomes a reality. Because you and I have to understand that the devil doesn't show up with a pitchfork and a tail and a red suit and say, hey, I'd like to divide your church today. And we go, okay, here's the microphone. Oh, he starts right here. He starts by, by nagging, by... By criticizing. He comes in through cynicism. He stirs you up to jealousy. To look at others and to want what they have. 
to compete with each other. And God's called us to love each other. Did you know that you can begin in the spirit and finish in the flesh? I believe this place was birthed by God. I really do. We've seen the Lord build this place. We've seen God show up in power. We've seen God restore. We've seen the Lord heal. We've seen God do what only God can do. And yet the desire of the enemy would be to take this place and to hijack us. And we started in the spirit, but we'll finish somewhere in the flesh. We'll finish somewhere in the realm of comparison or competition or jealousy or envy or strife or arguing or complaining. And the Lord wants you and I to be united in love do you know that the scripture calls us to consider someone else more important than you it's like the most impossible bible verse ever (laughs) seriously we like read it's Philippians 2 I think it's verse 3 do all things without grumbling and complaining before that consider one another or consider others more important than yourself I mean I read that and I'm like that's not real in my life just me willing to be honest today you're more important than me (laughs) Your needs come before mine. Your pain comes before mine. Listen, church culture has corrupted us because we think it's okay to just attend and just show up and just check a box and sing songs. And we don't have real relationship. We don't have real buy-in with the people around us. We use words like community and like family and like all these things. But the thought of going to lunch or breakfast or dinner with someone that we worship next to is foreign in this age. And yet God is restoring His church because there's a reformation that needs to take place. Here's what's happening all over the body of Christ. We're coming out of denominationalism and into family. I'm not hating on anybody. I'm not even angry. You need to know that denominations are dying. It's just a fact. If you want to be depressed, read Barna surveys. Guys, the, the, the majority of the body doesn't even hold a biblical worldview anymore. That Jesus is the Son of God. That He's the only way to heaven. It's it's crazy that the Word of God is absolute truth. We believe that it's relative and there are many ways to God. And you have people that think, well, I just add Jesus to the buffet line of my life and I can have a Buddha statue and I can post a Confucius quote and I can get filled with the spirit of the age that brings confusion and then I wonder why I can't feel God. We're moving out of denominations and into family because that was always God's desire in His heart. Here's the cancer that denominationalism brings. Denominationalism tells you that if you disagree, it's okay to divide. This is the whole church. If I disagree with you, I can divide from you. Listen, if someone, and if this is you, I'm sorry, but it's just true. If you leave because you disagree, all you've shown is that you were never really in in the first place. I love my wife, Taylor. I think you're the greatest person in this room, and I mean that. Have we ever disagreed? Yes. (laughs) Oh, gasp. But because we made a covenant, I don't dare consider walking out. I don't dare consider other options. Just because things aren't going well doesn't mean that I can look around. And things are going great, by the way. But because we're in covenant relationship, because I'm committed to you and you're committed to me, then if we disagree, then we'll work through it and we will choose love over division. But denominationalism gives you the power, gives you the assumed right. Because I disagree, well, we'll just walk out and we'll just leave. And then the church is crippled and crushed to her knees through pastors and leaders who deeply love people, who lay their life on the line, who bleed and die, who show up at the hospital at 3 in the morning. I was just talking to this guy. He goes, he goes to the hospital at 3 in the morning, 5 in the morning. There's a crisis in the family. And two months later, that family leaves his church after 10 years of being there. Because they didn't like the songs that were sung. 
I know that's like, oh, that's horrible. But that's the kind of stuff that creeps up in all of our hearts if we don't guard our minds. So unless the Lord builds the house, we labor in vain. You know that God has birthed this place, but now He wants us to grow up into the fullness of Him. The tension that you might feel, the, what you're experiencing, is the pressure to mature. Which happens within every believer because God doesn't want you to stay in diapers. If our five-year-old was still in diapers, that would be a failure on our part as parents. You have to learn to eat for yourself and feed yourself and clothe yourself and grow up. So in the world, we measure maturity by independence, right? You become independent. You don't need anyone to help you. You're mature. The kingdom is the exact opposite. You're mature when you're totally dependent on God. Independence is a sign of immaturity in God's kingdom. Are you with me this morning? I don't need no help. I don't want anybody to know I'm struggling. Yo, why is it so hard to ask for help? Well, pride or shame, take your pick. Because I don't want anybody to know that I'm hurting. I don't want, we, I'll help you, but I don't want you to know I need help. Because we feel ashamed that we're broken, that we're hurting, and yet God, remember, He's moving us. We were never a part of a denomination, and I praise God for it. Our early church conversations in this, this whole journey were like, you know, um, well, what denomination is there? Like, well, we're non-denominational. Well, well, what's your affiliation? And I'm like, I don't even know what that means. We're affiliated with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And people are like, well, is, is it a Bible-believing church? I'm like, no, we believe in aliens. What does that even mean? We're spirit-filled, Bible-believing. We love God. There's no truth except right here. I mean, I, but because it doesn't fit in the box of, oh, well, it's... Y'all, the Lord is healing His body right now. It's getting really uncomfortable for a lot of people that are stuck in dead denominations that are just trying to hold on for dear life and wondering why the whole thing is collapsing. Because God's not building it. We love to quote Matthew 16. Jesus says the gates of hell will not prevail, right? Y'all hear? The gates of hell will not prevail. Do you know that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church that Jesus is building? But if Jesus isn't building the church, the gates of hell are going to swallow that thing up. So we need to be allowing the Lord to build His house and to create a culture here of integrity, love, honesty, unity. I'm asking you this morning that you would pray and that you would seek God and you would ask Him, what can I do to increase my buy-in at our Father's house? And I don't mean money, forget that. I mean, what can I do to buy in and go all in and say, I want to increase in my share of what God is doing here so that way your victory is my victory. Because we're in this thing together. Did you hear our prophetic brother last week? Did he not say that he was reading Matthew 11 where John the Baptist sends servants to Jesus and they want to know, Lord, are you the one or should we look for someone else? And he said he's in prayer for this place and the Lord speaks to him and says, flip the question and I want to ask our Father's house, are you the one or should I look for someone else? And if that be true, and if that's from the Lord, and I believe it is because it bears witness with my spirit. Does that bear witness with you? God is asking this place, are you the one or should I look for someone else? Because God is desiring to pour out His Spirit and manifest His glory and do something that we can't even dream. It's far beyond what we could ever imagine. It's just in the realm of faith, but it's right there. But I believe He wants to rally this church. I believe that He wants to cut off any scheme of the enemy that might be at work here and cause us to choose love and to choose honor. To remind ourselves that this is a safe place for the hungry. But this is a dangerous place for the lukewarm. This is a dangerous place if you want to play games with God. But this is a safe place if you're hungry. Why? Because I want to be hungry with you.
When the hunger for God starts to wane in my life, I get around you all and it increases. That's the power of community. But if apathy and indifference and sin is tolerated in a church, then that becomes the leaven that pulls the heartbeat right out of her. Y'all, compromise will kill us faster than any devil. Pride will lay this place low before the enemy ever does. I want to remind us today, number one, that this is our Father's house. This is our Father's house. God named this place our Father's house. Why? Because this place belongs to the Father. Because this is a house where our Father welcomes all of us into His kingdom and into His family. And when Jesus taught them to pray, He didn't say Father, He said our Father. So He invites us in. This is our Father's house. Here's the deal. When the Father is truly present in the house, there's accountability. I love my children to death, but when I get home, they know Dad ain't playing. God gives the command to fathers for correction and for discipline. You know what we've done, brothers? We've abdicated our authority and we've said, well, discipline's for mommy to do. Wrong. Now you do it together in love, in patience, in kindness. Barry Nichols is coming. I, uh, Mitchell, what'd you say? It's cheaper than counseling. It might send some of us to counseling. <laughs> Hallelujah. Better to get it right now in this life. This is our Father's house because we value the fatherhood of God. Amen. Because God is a good Father. Yep. Because He wants us to connect to Him and know Him as Father. Jesus Christ came to earth and His primary number one reason was not to die for our sins. Go ahead and gasp with me. (gasps) Jesus Christ, His primary mission in coming to earth was not to die for our sins. It was to reveal God as Father to us. And in revealing God as Father, we see a redemptive Father who wanted to reconcile us to Himself. Why does that matter? Because you can be a Christian and still be an orphan. You can be a believer. You can be born again and remain a baby because you never get connected to God as your Father who calls you to grow up in Him, who loves you and affirms you, who heals you of your shame, who humbles you in your pride and drives out your fear and begins to put His Spirit down inside of you. Am I preaching to anybody today? God doesn't want us to remain orphans. He doesn't want us to be plagued our whole lives by insecurity. When you're insecure, you're full of comparison. I can stand here and honor Ben and love Ben and want to cry because I know who I am in Christ so I can celebrate who you are. The reason why we don't share the pulpit in the church today is because we're afraid of being out-preached. It's the truth. We talk about the five-fold ministry. You know why it doesn't happen? Y'all, we know a pastor who literally when he goes on vacation says that he invites in a worse preacher than him so his congregation will be thankful for his preaching. That's orphan spirit activate right there. I want you to write a few things down if you're willing. I just want to make sure I'm clear this morning. And I want to share something that I wrote four years ago. Number one, this is our Father's house. Emphasis on it being our Father's house. It belongs to Him. It's all for Him. It's to glorify Him. It's to honor Him as our Father. Number two, we are a house of restoration. This is our Father's house. I'm going to go into talking about the house. This is a DNA message. 
And I believe we need a fresh injection of DNA so that we can get on mission because I think some of us have gotten a little off track. And we need to get reconnected to the Father's divine mission and focus for this place. If you're visiting this morning, this is a great message to consider before the Lord. God, is this something that you want us to be a part of? Number one is this is our Father's house. Number two, we're a house of restoration. Let me break this down because this is really a twofold restoration in my mind. In Acts 3.21, it says of Jesus that He is locked up in heaven. That He is in heaven until... That's a key word, right? Don't you want to... Hey, when's Jesus coming back? Well, it says Jesus is in heaven until the restoration of all things. Acts 3.21. Literally think about it. Three, two. One, he's back. Because when God restores all things, what is God restoring? He's restoring himself to his body. We have gatherings that are in the name of Jesus that don't have anything to do with Jesus. We're ashamed of his word. We want to do a PR job on what we perceive or the difficult stories or the hard parts of God or the angry parts of God. No, listen. Jesus is in heaven until God restores all things. He's restoring Himself back to His church. He's restoring the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He's restoring the gifts of the Spirit to His bride. People everywhere are waking up and realizing this isn't supposed to be a one-man show. This is supposed to be a shared together and we're not just talking about Sunday morning. No, this is supposed to be a spiritual family. This is supposed to be a family where we have buy-in and we have relationship and we're invested in one another's lives. And if I'm invested in your life, I can't throw you away. But the whole idea of covenant community is mostly lost in the church today because we've morphed from family to attendance. Where do you attend church? This is where I attend. This is where I go. Now, this is my family. See, and the devil has cast a shadow over all this to intimidate people and tell you all the horror stories and all that. Don't listen to the enemy. Don't let abuse pollute the good thing that God has given us in family. I'm talking spiritual family. Somebody say amen. amen. So it's a twofold thing because God is restoring himself to his church here's what i believe i believe our father's house stands as a lighthouse as a pattern as a blueprint for people that there's another way to quote unquote do church and it's god's way we stand to say yes you can build according to the bible no you don't have to cater to everyone's desires no you don't have to be ashamed of the full gospel of Jesus you can just preach Christ and the truth and God will draw who he draws we are so convinced that if we offend people bad things will happen to us that we miss the fact that we're deeply offending the God who made us can you imagine being kicked out of your own house? I mean, Brad, if I showed up and you came home from work and I said, you don't live here anymore, you'd be like, what are you talking about? This is where I pay the bills. We own this place. My name is on. The, you start going, this is mine. Do you know that we've done that to the Holy Ghost? This is his house and we kicked him out of his house and we said, we'll take it from here. We got this. We know how to entertain. We know how to keep people happy. We know what people like and we've robbed the truth. We've literally taken truth out of love and when you take truth out of love, you're left with tolerance. And the church is drunk on tolerating, tolerating Jezebel, tolerating sexual immorality, tolerating sin and all our little pet snakes that... Oh, come on. We're a house of restoration because we're modeling that blueprint and that pattern that God is restoring to the church. The second part of the twofold restoration is that we're a place of restoration for people that are broken in their lives, that need real healing. 
Listen, when people are deeply afflicted and broken and hurting, they don't need a 15-minute self-help message. They don't need seven steps to a better life. They need to realize this isn't about becoming a better version of you. This is about dying with Christ and being raised with Him where you're a totally new person. I don't recognize myself anymore because Christ is living in me. I got over myself and I realized, man, you know what God wants me to do? He wants me to die. He loves me so much that He's calling me and beckoning me to the cross of His Son that I would know nothing except Christ and Him crucified. People need restoration. But you know what? In dead religion, you just throw people away that are struggling. Because religion is built upon appearances and performance. So when you really royally mess up, it's like, well, you're dirty now and you need to leave. You don't do that to your family. We've seen multiple people and there will be more truly hit rock bottom in this place and be restored by the Spirit of God and be restored in a spirit of gentleness and be restored with love and kindness that says, hey, God's grace is available for you. We know that you're at rock bottom, but that can be the foundation upon which you rebuild your life. So this is a house of restoration. This is a house of grace. This is a house of mercy. But this is offensive to people who have bought into false grace where they think that grace gives you permission to do whatever you want. Y'all, I had a revelation that struck me so hard. I realized that we are so rude to some people because they expect the church to be a landing pad. This is what you learn. The church is a landing pad and I just need to find a safe place to call home so that I can snuggle up and get comfortable and have my little friends. And here's my landing pad. You read the Word of God. The church is a launching pad. This is a place to get equipped. This is a place to get sent out. But it's rude if you're expecting a landing pad and we're like, hey, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6. Are you ready? Are you ready for the mission? You got your stuff on? We're like, whoa, we're about to go. And they're like, what the heck is wrong with that guy? Ben said, where do you want me to start? But when you expect a landing pad and you get a launching pad, you're like, oh, this this hurts my feelings. It's like, well, the gospel comes to literally deliver us from ourselves. I don't know about you. I am so tired of me. <laughs> Let's have an you uh, here here's how you can just just tweak your behavior a little bit to be just a little bit nicer of a person. Just make sure you say hi to the woman at the, the cashier at the grocery store you hate secretly. No, that's religion. All of that's bogus. All of that is garbage. All of that is void of transformation power. But in a house of restoration, we don't get to throw each other away. When you hurt, I hurt. When you're struggling, I'm struggling. When you need prayer, I'm really praying for you. I'm not just tossing out, oh, hey, yeah, pray for me. I will pray for you. Oh, God, help, help Billy. Help Johnny. Well, there's a real contending. There's a real... Remember, we're moving out of denominationalism and into family. As soon as you say family, though, people get tweaked. Start like... And God has to come and heal our wounds and our paradigm for what real family is. Number three. So we're a house of transformation. Sorry, we're a house of restoration, number two. Number three, we're a house of transformation. This is a place where real transformation takes place. Why? Because the real gospel is preached. When I read the scriptures and people encounter God, there's no such thing as them remaining the same. It doesn't happen. We have invented a faith that minimizes risk and maximizes pleasure. We've invented a faith in America. It's not really faith because faith without works is dead. If your lifestyle doesn't match the confession of your lips, you're in hypocrisy. But we've invented a faith that has no bearing upon people's lives. 
When I encountered Christ and He became real to me, everything about my life changed. And all of a sudden a new heart was beating inside of me where I started hating things I used to love. And I started loving things that I used to hate. That's how you know you're born again. That's how you know something real. That's how you know transformation has taken place and you're not just cognitively and intellectually worshiping God. This is a place of transformation because we understand that God's primary purpose in our lives is to conform us to the image of His Son, Jesus. Let me make this really simple. God has one thing that He is always doing in our lives, and it's making us like Jesus. That's really easy to amen and really hard to live. When God begins to address all the pride, all the shame, all the fear. Listen, shame is so powerful because shame can become your identity. You can put on shame like a garment and you can start behaving in a certain way because of the deep shame that you feel. And you think it's you and it's not. And when God comes to apply His blood to your life and liberate you from shame, you realize, man, I have a voice. I have a choice. I have something to say. God wants me to make a difference in other people's lives. Remember, this is a launching pad. This is a place to get equipped and built up and sent out to make a difference for Jesus Christ. The problem is we've convinced people that church is about being entertained, about being coddled about being comforted. Do you know that entire places, they have one mission and one goal every public meeting and it's to make you comfortable. You don't believe me? This is real. You're talking about board meetings. You're talking about millions of dollars spent. How do we make people comfortable and God never enters the conversation? So if we want to make people comfortable and they're in sin, well, talking about sin makes people uncomfortable. People hate to hear that they're wrong. But when you say, hey, your lifestyle offends the God who loves you, who calls you into transformation, who loves you so much that He's not going to leave you where you are, people start getting offended, so we start backing off. We start feeling ashamed of the gospel, although we wouldn't say it that way. If you change your message because of who's in the room, you're cowering to fear. If you change what you plan to say because someone... No, no, never bow to fear. God is raising up unashamed messengers in the earth all over this nation. Do you realize that we are in a moral collapse? This nation is crumbling. I'm talking about family, y'all. We can't even decide what's male and female. Because morality is literally quaking. And here's the church going, well, we don't want to make anybody mad. Well, if we we preach this, uh, well, people will leave. It's like, you know, I would rather people leave and be mad than stay and go to hell. Because I've learned to love people at a soul level. If I love your soul, then I preach the truth. But if I love the thought of you or the idea of you, then I can back away from what God says. You guys still here? Number four. We're a house of prayer. Number one, this is our Father's house. Number two, a house of restoration. Number three, a house of transformation. Number four, we're a house of prayer. The children are crying out to the Lord. (laughs) He said, pray, ho! (laughs) See, there you go, I made you laugh, it's okay. We're going to get through it. I believe when it comes to the place of prayer as a church, if we are not contending, we are pretending. I believe God is calling all of us together as one family 
out of pretending and into contending. When we pray, listen, we have a corporate prayer meeting every week. It's Sunday at 9.15. I want to exhort everyone in your life group to make sure you pray. And don't do the three-minute, thank you, God, for this day. That's awesome. Start there, but go into deeper realms of prayer. It is the hardest thing to call people to corporate prayer because prayer doesn't sell. How do you advertise prayer? Come to prayer and you're going to pray. But a church that's used to being entertained, nobody prays. We pray on our own. I'm talking about corporate prayer. Here's the deep conviction that I'm carrying from the Spirit of God. The Lord confronted me and said, Paul, you have cried out for Acts 2 power without Acts 1 prayer. Acts 1.14 says that they were devoted to prayer. I just want to ask you, is prayer a priority in your life? Having a daily devoted time of prayer, it would be better to pray for five minutes with reality and vulnerability toward God than an hour or two hours or five hours of church services. Connecting with God in a meaningful way is what He's after every day. That's what daily bread looks like. Did you connect with Jesus in a meaningful way today? Did you touch his heart and did he touch yours? Did he speak to you? Did the word of God come alive to you? Did he give you a burden for this, that, or the other because the spirit of God knows what you need even before you ask? This is a house of prayer. I believe that God is restoring the priority of prayer to our Father's house. I believe that the Lord is calling us to the place of prayer. So I want to invite you, come. If you've never been to a Sunday morning gathering, so many of our meetings are one at 9.15. Where we pray, but listen, I'm not talking about praying intellectual prayers. I mean praying in the Holy Ghost. Praying in the Spirit. Building yourself up in your most holy faith. Speaking mysteries to God. Does talking about praying in tongues make anyone else want to pray in tongues? When I listen to messages on tongues, I just, I just start praying in tongues, listening to them. Because you begin to harness the power of eternity. It's really hard to pray in tongues when you're focused on temporal things. God, you really want me to babble and jab my lips together in a language I don't understand for you? And it's like, well, are you going to submit to the Word of God or not? See, here's the deal with the whole... Is the Holy Spirit for today? And, you know, here's what they're going to say. They're going to say that you put your experience above the Word of God. They're going to say that you've elevated something, an experience, let's say, of tongues or prophecy or healing that you had. They're going to say you're putting it above the Word of God. They're going to say, no, that's extra biblical. Here's the deal. You know what they're doing? They're just putting their lack of experience above the Word of God. So you don't believe it because you've never seen it. So God is limited to what you've seen. God can't do it because you've never... So God is limited. What God can do has to fit what you can do, right? And at the end of the day, I'm just grateful to God that I'm not going to stand before Him and have taught people what God can't do. Hey, here's what God doesn't do. Here's what God can't do. No, we're ashamed of the Holy Spirit. We say this is for him, but we kicked him out of his own party. And he waits at the door. He stands and knocks and says, let me in again. Let me manifest my power and my glory and my presence. Let me bring conviction of sin to your hearts once again so that you can get right before me. If you want to get right with God, you have to get real with him first. Reality always, always, always precedes great breakthroughs. Just call it like it is. In our corporate meetings, I want to encourage us to pray and not preach. I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings. But I think that sometimes we preach because we don't know how to pray. So when we pray and you have an opportunity, pray so that we can agree with what you're praying. Pray and ask God to do what He's put in your heart so that we can say yes and amen and we can be praying in tongues and warring together with you. Yeah. 
So that time isn't a, a time for an exhortation or a teaching. It's a time for prayer. We're gathered together to pray. Does this make sense? This is why we say, hey, we want to direct our prayers towards God and towards this meeting because we recognize that there's a massive opportunity in front of us that we don't want to take lightly. We can have prayer meetings for the nation and prayer meetings for the Chinese balloon and whatever people are freaking out about these days. You didn't think I was going to reference it. I did. Some of you are like, what is going on? I, I don't know. Ask Brad. He'll have the scoop on it. Last one. You guys okay? We are a house of honor. We have the Father, number one. Restoration, transformation, a house of prayer. And lastly, we're a house of honor. Now, of course, this doesn't encompass everything that we believe. But these were specific points that I felt like God wanted me to hit this morning. Because here's what the Father showed me. Where jealousy is present, honor is absent. We need to declare war on every form of comparison and jealousy and competition in our lives. It all has to die. We lack honor because jealousy. Here's the deal with honor and jealousy. They're very similar in that they're both pointed towards others. They're both others minded. But jealousy looks at you and says, I want what you have. Honor looks at you and says, I celebrate that you have what I don't. But we struggle to honor other people. Why? Because the issue of honor has everything to do with one word. Are you ready? Security. If you are insecure in who you are and what God has called you to, if deep down you're, you feel insecure, you will struggle to honor anyone else. You will struggle to honor authority. You will struggle to honor your mother and father. You will struggle to honor those that serve you and love you. You will struggle because of your own internal issue. Guys, we don't confess and repent for jealousy enough. We don't realize that comparison is the seed of jealousy. Social media feeds comparison. Look at everyone's life. I made a post at the, the beginning of this year that basically said, hey, the last two years of my life were a living hell, but God's good. The overwhelming amount of people that reached out to me and said, thank you, I've been going through a valley myself, was crazy. It was a breath of fresh air for, here's the best thing going on in my life. Here's the greatest thing that I did this week. And we're sitting there like, well, I had a pretty average day. <laughs> we cannot compare. We have to choose honor. We've got, did you know the scripture says, Romans 12, to outdo one another in showing honor? What would it look like for an honor competition to break out in this house? Here's the deal though, honor is not merely words. Honor goes far beyond words and translates into service, translates into money, translates into esteeming one another highly. We honor people by sowing into their lives with whatever God has given us to share. Now let's have another moment of honesty because apparently I'm just going there today. Sometimes when I talk about honor, I feel like deep down we all think what Paul is saying is, I want you to honor me. I don't, we're not taking up an offering. I don't want your recognition. I don't care. This isn't about honor. This is about honoring each other. This is about esteeming each other. This is about, no, I guard my thoughts about you because you're honorable in my life and I love you and we're family together. This is about, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt even if you sin against me because that's what love requires of me. That's what honor causes me to do. 1 Corinthians 12 says that we're supposed to honor even the most unseemly members of the body. 
We're supposed to honor those members that in our natural mind we would think are the least deserving of honor. It says on those we bestow abundant honor. But we have an honor crisis. Honor is eroding in our culture. We don't honor anyone anymore. We're actually taught to hate authority in every form rather than honor. Honor has been a key in my life that has unlocked favor from heaven that I cannot explain. An honorable heart and an honorable life. Here's the deal. Everybody wants to be honored, but few want to live an honorable life. We love the idea of being honored, right? But that's the heart of the Pharisees, Jesus said. You love the place of honor. He told them, you love the place of honor. You love the seed of Moses. You love to be seen and esteemed before men, but Jesus calls us to serve and give and fast in secret and trust that God the Father will honor you for how you live in the secret place. Y'all hearing me this morning? All right, I want to ask you to stand. And I want to read you something that I wrote four years ago, before we ever had a building, while we were still meeting in our living room, I wrote this, and I want to share it with you. It's going to take me just a couple of minutes to read, but I want to ask you just to listen and to open your heart. I titled this Dream With Me. And I want to invite you as you listen to this. Some of you, if you're old schoolers, You've been here a really long time, four or five years. (laughs) You've heard this, but I felt like the Lord put it on my heart to share it afresh with you. My heart is exploding with passion for something deeper. Vision for something greater. Hunger for something more than what we are currently experiencing. My dream is far too expansive to be fulfilled without the help of God and others. What God can do with me is small. What God can do with us is beyond our comprehension. I am struck this morning by this simple reality. My dream will remain just a dream unless it becomes your dream too. My vision will be useless unless it becomes your vision too. My passion will surely fade away unless it becomes your passion too. What is the vision that God the Father has birthed in me? What is the dream I have growing in my heart? I urge you to dream with me for a moment. Let your guard down and allow your faith in Jesus to increase. What is impossible for man is possible with God. Apart from Him, we can do nothing. Without His presence, this is simply a waste of time. Without His laboring hand, we are building the house in vain. Will you dream with me? My prayer is that God would place this hunger and passion in your heart that my dream might become our dream, that our dreams might become a reality. Dream with me about a local church in Avon, Indiana called Our Father's House. The church is led by a team of people who are radically committed to loving and serving God and each other. The true leader and head of the church is Jesus Christ. His glory is not obstructed by a man standing in his rightful place. God's people receive the kindness and care they deserve. The people are looked after with the compassionate heart of the Father. Those whom the enemy has tried to subdue and crush through the weight of sin and brokenness are healed and restored by the mercy of God. Those who are lonely find a family that takes them in and nurtures them. Those who are lost find hope and joy in the light of Christ. Those who are distressed and confused find peace and clarity loving God and loving people is the top priority because without people there is no ministry the people are the gifts and regardless of their background status race or stage in life they are shown the sacrificial love and acceptance of Jesus Christ there is no bias or partiality because all are welcome in our father's house 
Dream with me about a group of people who ignore what culture says a church service should look like. A group of people who prioritize the local gathering and understand its importance. Someone say amen. They show up to the meetings with a heart overflowing with hunger for more of Jesus. They yield to the leading of the Spirit and give Him freedom to accomplish what He desires to do. They readily lay down their plans and agendas to see God be glorified in greater ways. As a result, prophecies, healings, corporate prayer, and repentance break out in their midst. People are baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire just as Jesus promised. The gifts of the Spirit are in operation and causing people to encounter the living God who hears, sees, and still speaks powerfully today. The Spirit is poured out on the people and the life of God is unmistakably present just like He promised. Dream with me about a safe place for people to experience God's presence. A place where marriage is celebrated and honored as a gift from God. A place where broken marriages and families can find healing and rest. Where new marriages are formed and a firm foundation is laid into them. Children are seen as a blessing from the Lord. Not a burden, not an interruption. And from a young age, the children are raised to serve the Lord faithfully. They're taught how to pray and encouraged to dream big and trust God. They're taught the scriptures and given the tools to fight through life's trials and temptations. They become children who never depart from the ways of God. People who don't know what it's like to really live in sin and bondage. Would you dream with me about those children maturing and becoming teenagers who are on fire for Jesus? Teenagers who are obsessed with God's presence instead of social media and perversion. They impact their classmates in schools by demonstrating the heart of God. They're so full of zeal that they provoke adults to question their own hunger and love for Jesus. They're healthy kids who will not compromise. They resist the devil and expose his lies for what they are. They hold one another accountable to giving God their very best and not settling for the low bar American culture has set for them. Y'all still dreaming with me? Last bit. Dream with me about a group of people who worship the Father in spirit and in truth. People who are so undone by the goodness of God, so overwhelmed by His presence that they don't care if anybody is watching. Their worship is pleasing to God, honoring and exalting Him and not our problems. There's a team of skilled musicians who work hard to serve the Lord with excellence, but know that their heart is what truly matters. A team that makes makes room for musicians and singers who are growing in their gifting yet also held accountable to practice and steward their talent well. Songs are written, inspired by the Spirit that become anthems in the house. Dream with me about a local church that loves and celebrates what God is doing all over the earth that isn't territorial or arrogant. A group of people who support faithful missionaries and foreign pastors to do God's work abroad. A church that sends teams to other nations. Teams that show up full of passion and fire to make both an immediate and long-lasting impact in those places. Would you dream with me? But dream with me and learn to dream for yourself. Ask God to give you a passion and a zeal of your own. Ask Him how your unique set of desires and gifts fit into the larger picture. Maybe you have an idea that is unique and different. If it's born of the Spirit, God wants to see it come to pass. Would you dare to dream with me? Father, I pray that you would reawaken the wonder in this house. Lord, we say no to religion again today. We say no to dead, dry, stale meetings. We say no to dead walks with you. We pray, 
Father, that you would use this place to breathe life into this region. God, we ask even right now for every church in Hendricks County to catch fire for Jesus Christ. We pray that you would convict every pastor and every leader to preach the truth of the kingdom of God. To stop being a coward and to be bold and confident for the righteous are as bold as lions. Father, we pray that you would send a great awakening to this land to our county, to our state, to our nation. That you would rescue us from the jaws of the devil. That you would awaken us. That you would lead us not into temptation. That you would break the back of poverty and perversion and bondage. And that you would set us free to live righteous and holy lives. God, I pray that you would awaken the church all across this nation. That you would release a hunger and a thirst and a desperation for you that there would be a turning back to God Lord we declare that we're just one small part of the restoration that you're doing in your body in this hour Father would you forgive us for playing games would you forgive us for entertaining people yet offending you Lord we repent would you release hunger would you cause this place to be a house of honor a house of restoration, a house of transformation, a house where real change takes place for the glory of God. Lord, would you rescue each and every one of us from playing church, from praying things that we don't even believe. In Jesus' name, we ask these things. Amen. I invite you to dream with me. That's what we need. Everyone buying in together. We love you. I hope to see you at a life group this Wednesday or Tuesday nights. We have discipleship for men. God bless you all. Thank you for listening today. And thank you for forgiving me.